Welcome to Intersectionality in the Diaspora. I'm Guada. Y Melodia. And this month we're discussing mental health in the diaspora. We'll explore topics ranging from self-care to validation and how these resources range in availability to our communities. So sit back, grab some cafecito or vinito, and welcome to the conversation. Welcome, folks, to episode two of Intersectionality in the Diaspora. I'm Clara. And Melo. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we are going to continue our conversation on mental health in the diaspora. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the topic of mental health and its impacts on our lives can often be a difficult subject to engage in. We recognize that we brought in various topics that can be triggering, and so we will begin to preface our episodes with any content warning moving forward. Because our conversations are impromptu and unscripted, we will do our best to follow through on this commitment to our community. Tonight, our conversation will include topics of depression, self-harm, eating disorders, and alcoholism. And today we're going to pick up where we left off and navigate mental health in the diaspora and how we were taught or not taught to cope with our emotions. So, Melody, what are your earliest memories of going to the doctor? As a kid, I had really bad and still have really bad asthma. So I had a doctor that I always went to. Um, and he, I still go to him sometimes. Um, that has helped me control my asthma. So that's my earliest memories of the doctor, maybe like five. Oh, wow. Right on. Yeah. yeah, I would say that I, you know, I have memories of going to the doctor when I was like four or five too, just for like routine checkups and whatnot. Um, yeah. So do you remember the first time you needed to see a doctor for your mental health? Yeah, I was about 27. And I always associated to, you know, that 27 club, right? It was like... <laughs> It was like my worst year in uh, my life and so far, right? And um, I thought that was going to be it for me. So I um, I went to go seek therapy. Um, But um, it didn't work out. So then I went back again uh, when I was about 29 and found a a therapist, you know, a doctor that really suited me and I liked. What about you? Um, I, the first memory I have of seeing someone for mental health was when I was eight years old. Um, um, so I'm the youngest of four and my oldest sibling Um, passed away when I was eight years old. And I remember going, being sent to the school psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever it was, and um, sitting in her office, like, for maybe 10 minutes, and never seeing her again after that. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was in high school, there's a lot of things going on with my family. And with myself and um, 
people started noticing that I was self-harming and so it was brought to my mom's attention and so I started seeing a um, school counselor Mm -hmm. but when I dropped out of high school and I lost you know the not that I lost contact but I lost the ability to have that service Um, I wasn't able to see a therapist again or deal with my mental health again um since well honestly a year ago (laughs) so in my early 30s you know yeah that's you know I had totally now that you're talking about high school I totally forgot that I had mentioned that my mom took me to see that therapist but just like you when I was 15 um but I went once you know and then I went back so I just felt like I didn't need it yeah. yeah. And so, like, how were those experiences different for you? Like, going to the doctor as a five-year-old versus going to a, you know, therapist or a, you know, somebody who can help you with your mental health, you know, in your 20s? Like, <laughs> how does that happen, right? I'm like, oh, my God, that's such a – I got all these flashbacks. <laughs> oh, man. Um you know, I've always been scared of injections. You know, I have that, like, yeah. it's just so, it freaks me out. And even to this day, um, I, you know, I get B12 shots every month. So um, I still can't see them. So I always associate the doctor with injections, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it was scary going to a therapist in my 20s. Right, because I I don't know. I guess I had that association, like I'm gonna get harmed, you know. But mm-hmm. and then the first time that I really sat down and, you know, not with the first therapist in my, or like you know, like 26, 27, mm-hmm. um, I um, you know, I felt okay, but then the second time around, 29, I remember. Um, it just brought up so many like emotions and it was too much for me. Mm. So I guess that's the different thing, you know, with the doctor, my earliest memory, I went in for, got, you know, a checkup and an injection, but then mm-hmm. felt fine with a bandaid. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> then the second time I went, all these emotions just came flooding out and it took me a while to, feel a little bit better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but then the second time I went I felt more comfortable you know yeah it's like one of those things that gets easier the more you do it yeah 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 because it's hard to talk about your feelings it's hard to talk let's be yeah. real here <laughs> talking is hard <laughs> um, talking about feelings doubly so yeah yeah, it's like double, right? <laughs> Hard to yeah. And I think that's like, at least in my experience, that's like the biggest difference is, you know, as a kid, as a, you know, a five-year-old, like I knew that being healthy was important. I knew that I had to go to the doctor and, you know, get my shots and they would check my temperature. And I knew that, you know, I had to eat well and, you know, do exercise or play outside so that I would be happy and whatever like all of that was always 
you know, front and center, but I don't have a single memory on, as a child, as what to do, like, when I'm sad or feeling broken, you know, like, very seldom did I hear the words, it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the only time I, I remember hearing the words, it's okay to cry, was from my brother at my mom's funeral. That was the first time I've ever heard somebody say that. And um, prior to that, I tried really hard not to cry in front of my family. I tried really hard not to bring up what I was feeling inside because there were so many other things happening that were also health related, not with me, but with my family, with my mom in particular. And in my head, you know, like, well, physical wellness is a priority and it comes before everything and anything else. So there's no room for sadness or depression or, you know, withdrawals or anything like that. You know, that just, you just deal with it. You just get over it. You just move forward. Um, and I, that's something that because I experienced it so young and have been like perpetuating that, you know, belief my entire life, it's been really hard for me to, you know, I guess, let my walls down and, you know, accept the help that I need, or even just accept that I need help, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it's kind of like what we were talking about last time, right? How I said, like, we're just taught, you know, well, you know, from what I gathered from you, you know, like it, like me, I was taught to be strong and not show these emotions. And I was just talking to my brother today, actually, and, you know, um, I was like, when I was growing up, I was, you know, I have two brothers, so I was such a tomboy growing up. And he, like, I looked at them and they were taught not to cry, you know? And my brother told me today, like, that my dad just had had told him, the only time you cry is when your mom passes away, you know? And I was like, what? Like, and that's how I was, I grew up too. Like, it's a sign of weakness to cry. And it's not. That's what I learned now. Like, it's so liberating to cry. I got chills when yeah. you said that. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy that the words that your father said, your yeah. father never met my brother either too. I know that like your mom did. Yeah. And that's so crazy to me. Wow. I have, I have chills right now. <laughs> it's like. It's so ingrained in our culture. Yeah. You know, like in Latinx culture and Central American culture and Guatemalan culture, mm-hmm. Salvadorian culture, like. There is a facade of strength that exists behind this pain. And I feel like it wasn't always that way. Mm -hmm. You know me, I always think, you know, every problem is rooted in colonization, in my opinion. So I always just think like, oh, those damn Spaniards. (laughs) We always say, yeah. You know. 
we're all yeah we're all colonized by the same ones right (laughs) seriously um anyway i'm gonna try not to go down that road (laughs) that rabbit hole um um, yeah but because it's you know i i'm telling you like i the first time i remember crying was when i was like in my deepest of the deepest depression right i was like couldn't stand anymore and i was just like i let it all out and you know, I was like, what? Like, what is this? And now, it's, I, I, that's why I'm always like, chingona pero chillona, right? Because yeah. like, I'm like, now I'm just like, I cry for everything. And like, my friend and I always laugh about it. I'm like, she's like, oh, my, she's always like, oh, my friend cries for everything. But I'm like, I don't, I don't care anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm just gonna cry. Yeah. Whatever I feel, if it's, I'm watching Little House on the Prairie, I don't care. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, now I just and I remember my friends in high school would tell me like what's wrong with you like I you know like you are so cold and I didn't want to like hug anybody didn't want to be close to anybody you know like yeah. um, because I always associated it with my grandpa passing mm-hmm. like if my grandpa who I loved passed away and left me anybody that I love again is going to leave me Right. So I was very cold and, you know, didn't really have those emotions. And now I'm like, uh, forget it. I'm just going to have all kinds of emotions. <laughs> so what were some ways that you were taught to deal or heal or cope with those emotions? Like, Okay, how... so first, like yeah. we said, don't cry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't cry. Um, also, like, you know, when... I was taught, like, you know, if you feel these emotions, like, maybe do something to preoccupy your time, right? Like, mm-hmm. I always heard, like, vete limpiar, go clean, you know, like, or fi- find some way to preoccupy the mind. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it doesn't work for a lot of people because it does, mm-hmm. right? Um, but how I was feeling, I couldn't, you know, like, oh, um, because I remember like oh go draw something and I got like you know those coloring books or something mm-hmm. um, and it works for a lot of people but at the time it didn't work for me yeah so I was taught that um like go go clean go um like so I just something to preoccupy myself um so that was basically it what about you I honestly don't have any recollection. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've mentioned before, like self, I'm sorry, mental health isn't something that was really discussed in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of left to to heal and cope in my own ways and the ways that I observed. And I don't know about you or your family, but my family loves to um, heal through drinking and listening to music. And I am all about that. Um, <laughs> you know, um, like, I mean, you know, even at funerals, there is alcohol and music because like, that is just the way we roll. And, and yeah. And the mariachis, I feel like, right. You remember but, that? Oh, yeah. God. Oh my um, God. 
I can't believe it. I can't even remember that you were there. That's crazy. I know. But I do remember you being there. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, anyway, yeah, I don't like, want to think about that. <laughs> I know. That's not. <laughs> yeah, let's not go down that road. Um, You know, yeah. now that we're like, you know, I think another thing is like, we laugh at stuff like that, right? Like, is that oh, yeah. it's a form of like healing? You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. We just... I have mixed feelings about that mm-hmm. because I feel like there's a very fine line between like laughing at yourself and being self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And I think at least for myself, it's really hard to see the fine line. Um, but I do laugh and I have to laugh because I, again, like there's no space or no room to be sad. There's mm-hmm. no space or no room to you know, talk about what's going on with your brain and how it doesn't have enough serotonin and blah, 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 you know, or how all of these things that are happening around you are impacting your daily life. Because what's, that's not as important as the physical state. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what, like, you know, people don't think that there's anything wrong with you because they can't see it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like, <sighs> And it's part of our survival mode, mm-hmm. right? It's like, we need to blend in. We need to make sure that, you know, people only see what we want them to see, what I want them to see. Um, and I can't let people see me be upset or be depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, Not when there's so much to do. Yeah. It's like... um, and so like, yeah, so you know, I didn't talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. even think I talked about it with you at the time. And if I no. did, you know, I don't think it was like very um, candid. I think um, it was, ve- it was very like, I saw the stuff, but I saw you so like happy and we would laugh about things. So it wasn't something that we talked about. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm still very much a very private person. Mm-hmm. I don't like talking about you know, obviously, I, I feel like even now there is a sense of resistance in this conversation. And I've known mm-hmm. you for like 20 something years. And like, mm-hmm. none of this is a secret to you. And yet I still am very resistant to share because mm-hmm. it is so hard for me to be vulnerable. Yeah. And that vulnerability, you know, that's, that's the same as looking weak, right? Like, yeah. I can't be I can't be looking weak in front of you. Like, huh. um, you can look weak all you want. No. <laughs> I won't judge. You know? um, <laughs> but yeah so like you know how do you deal with that when you're like booking you know 15 16 and hella depressed and like mm-hmm. you can't talk about it like shit dude you fucking smuggle a bottle of Bacardi 151 into your bedroom when nobody's looking I can't even drink that anymore man. No, me either <laughs> me either oh, uh, oh. Good yeah, times, yeah. but, you know. It was the best of times. It was the worst yeah. of times. <laughs> our 15, our sophomore year. You know, I always, and I was talking to my husband about this. I told him, like, that was, like, the best time of my life. Like, <laughs> And I always think about you, you know, like, riding to your, your house on a moped, like, to go in, you know, to help you get back into your locked, like, when you lock yourself out. <laughs> You mean when I broke broke into my own house? <laughs> <laughs> like, but you know, like I wouldn't have ever 
thought anything, you know, like you were depressed or anything like that. Surprise. Um, it was <laughs> yeah. like, but it's like, I guess I kind of knew because you were one of the first people that I told what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew you would understand me. Yeah. This, but, you know, we were like taught all those things, like, I guess, suppress all those emotions, right? Yeah. And it's like done in a roundabout way. Right. It's not like so I'm going to take the conversation back to accessibility because I know that that's like the big focus. Mm-hmm. And in my family, and please, you know, tell me if this is true for you, listeners, please tell me if this is true for you. You know, if you are having any problems with your mental health, you are told to get over it. You are told to, like you said earlier, Melody, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. vuelta la manzana, as my mom used to say. I still don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> um, and it's always dealt at home. It's never dealt outside of the house. This is a family matter. This isn't something for people outside of the house. Nobody can know that this is going on. And that closes the doors for professional, you know, treatment or even like community treatment, right? Like wanting to go to like a support group at a church or at the community center, mm-hmm. you know, pero la familia no quiere que nadie sepa que esto está pasando. Yeah. Like, they, you know, I was talking to, you know, one of my friends and it was always like, there's this big stigma of you going to therapy or you, going to you know or taking medication you know because yeah. because I, if you do you're crazy yeah and I hate that I hate it you know like it it's like you know it, I didn't hear that in my family I didn't hear that but like my circle of friends you know Central American Mexican like it was all like they would say that and I would hear it you know in my group of friends so I would think like okay like let me hide this fact that I'm not feeling well and so that's why I bottled everything up for so long mm-hmm. when I'm talking to my friend um she was saying the same thing she's like oh you know I I couldn't e- we couldn't even associate with people who went to therapy because it's like oh that person is crazy yeah like, no that person is getting the mental help that they need to feel better you know, yeah. people in my immediate healing, yeah, and, and for people in my extended family. I remember it was like one a comment that one of uh, my fam- extended family said, and you know they had gone to the doctor for you know something was wrong with them, like they felt something was wrong, and they're like, oh, you know, they told me it was anxiety, and they tried to get me on crazy pills. I mm-hmm. I just had to stand mm-hmm. and leave the conversation because I was just like. I can't even tell you how wrong that sentence was. You know? Like, mm-hmm. why would you say something like that? But then again, it goes back to, you know, how we, that person was brought up, I guess, you know? That's Yeah. Because it's like, why, why would you, that, why would that even come out of your mouth? But then again, I have empathy for that. I know how it feels, right? Yeah. 
Well, and I feel like there's also a lot of like cultural ways of healing too. And I, and you know, part of it is like the spiritual side, like, I know, no, whatever, you know, like, oh, let me just pray for you and you'll be fine. Let's just go to church every Sunday and pray for you, you know, and completely avoid the fact that you are, you know, experiencing a very real, you know, illness. And for and, some people that is therapy, you know? Right. But right. in most cases, like in my cases, I, you know, my mom did tell me that, you know, like before, before the option of therapy or she suggested it, you know, um, it was like, let's go to church, you know, like, Oh, okay. But she was never pushy about it. You know, mm -hmm. I went to my retreats to feel better. I went to a retreat to feel better. And my friends that sent me there, um, you know, never pushed going back to it or back to church on it with me, for me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it made me feel better at the time. And I, at the time, I wanted to do anything and everything to feel better. Yeah. So, it's you know, some people find that help in church. But, you know... I think kind of nowadays that mental health is a lot more, you know, okay, for lack of a better word, advertised in, you know, mm. anything. It's like, like back, back when we were younger, you know, you, you didn't hear that that much, but now it's like, oh yeah, you know, get that mental health. Right. Well, and I think that's, I think that's more of a testament of how our culture as a, our social social culture is shifting as a whole mm -hmm. and recognizing like oh man like this hustling this grinding every single day all the time like no that traffic too like oh for real <laughs> you know and at the same time I recognize that a lot of like when I think self-care the first word that comes to my mind is a privilege that is a privilege for some people for a lot of people you know and self-care whether it's you know going to a therapist or sitting in your room and listening to music for a couple of hours like whatever it is no matter what degree it is deserved to everybody yes and you know our culture our society has made it so that it's something that we earn and that is just so it's manipulative yeah and it's one of the reasons why, especially people of color, especially Latinx, especially black communities, like this is why we are constantly like struggling because we are not as a culture and as a society, um, we are not taken into account as human beings with just, you know, rights. Wow. Right, the that's what I always say. I'm like, por eso estamos como estamos y nunca progresamos. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, like, well. yeah, like, but we're taught to like, yeah, just keep on going. Yeah, and that's part of like the um, the coping skills, right? Mm -hmm. It all comes back together. Like, oh, you're sad. Well, why don't you pick up a few extra shifts at work? Oh, why don't you go work in the yard? Oh, why don't you go? You know, whatever. Yeah, so like, some <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and you know, maybe that's why I'm always cleaning all the time. Like, and that's that is why you're always yeah. cleaning. 
But, you know, like my, and I hadn't realized that stuff until my therapist told me, like, that's part of your anxiety. Mm-hmm. You can't control what you're feeding, but you control the cleaning. You control right. the eating, you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, crap. But it wasn't until I had that help, you know? But, like, I, you know, I was telling you earlier, like, I went to 10 different doctors to realize something was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, I knew something was wrong, but I went to um, like nine doctors. I went to the 10th one. And then he, after all these tests that the nine doctors before him had done, he was the one who read my results and said, hey, this is, this is what's wrong with you. You're malnourished, right? I'm like, oh, then everything just kind of, you know, I realized, oh, well, well, yeah, because I'm doing A, B, and C, right? Um, and I, I want to add to what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I apologize yeah. for just, like, stepping in, but I think it's really important since we are talking about accessibility and we are talking about, you know, us as a diaspora, people of culture, people from Central America, I think it's really important for our listeners to know that nine of the doctors were white yeah. and the one doctor that actually gave you your diagnosis was not exactly (laughs) and what does that tell you about our you know our ability to access health care and let alone mental health and then like I remember like I wouldn't be you know I'm so lucky that I got married to someone who has bomb ass insurance (laughs) (laughs) or else nice I would have gone to one doctor Mm mm-hmm and who knows where I, what I would be feeling, you know? Yeah. Or you could have no insurance and yeah. not go to any doctor. Exactly. You know, and I can speak for myself that most of my life, I haven't had health insurance. Mm-hmm. And the times that I needed it the most, like, even if I wanted help, I couldn't get it. I couldn't afford to get it. And, um, you know, it is a privilege. It is a luxury to be able to see a therapist, to be able to see somebody who can, you know, assess and analyze, you know, why you are the way you are. And there's something freeing about having that information. And it's so discouraging that not everybody has access to that. Yeah. And it's not fair. It's so not fair. It should just be like a given, you know? Like, And the fact that it's something that's perpetuated in our, in our institutions, mm-hmm. and you see it throughout, like, you mean, you can look at statistics across the board, you know, like, oh, why is it that, you know, four times as many Black women die during childbirth than anybody, any other, you know? Yeah, demographic because it has been theorized that black women can handle more pain than the average woman and that's so well first of all that's racist yeah (laughs) secondly that's bullshit propaganda you know from slavery Mm -hmm. 400 years later we're still repeating those same lies and still like perpetuating that pain that trauma and it's embedded in our society you know and part of the reason why 
the Latinx community doesn't have access to mental health or access to health in general is because it's not something that's afforded to us. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're coming from an immigrant household, you know, and even then you're getting like the bare minimum. So you're kind of, I mean, to me, it feels like you're kind of left to your own devices and trying to cope with, you know, the generations of trauma that have been, that you've inherited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, you know, nine out of 10 doctors are just going to totally dismiss you and tell you that everything is fine. And then if you can afford to go to the 10th, you're, you could be lucky. And, yeah. and let me tell you, he's my main doctor now, right? <laughs> my primary doctor. But yeah, you got to hold him close. Yeah. <laughs> like... I will tell you, like, I, you know, I've been in Seattle for like three years now. Mm-hmm. And the last year I had like real health insurance, like a really great health insurance plan. Yeah. And yeah. it's like when I was like, oh, okay, I can afford this. And I, you know ended up going to therapy blah 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 Mm -hmm. um but I also started seeing a general practitioner and um you know I wasn't very happy with her so I called like the doctor hotline and just like very very frankly said look I really need a doctor of color preferably a woman of color Mm -hmm. because I am just not feeling I'm not feeling safe with this doctor. I'm feeling like she's very belittling and she's not understanding where I'm coming from. Oh, good for you. And it's crazy that like to have that power, to have that say and to get to the point in my life where I could demand the right for me to see somebody who understands Mm -hmm. where I'm coming from, who I am, even if it's just like some kind of parallel, you know? That was huge. And, you know, the first time I met her, you know, it was like a really awkward amount of meeting people for the first time, doctors especially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember her looking at the chart and saying, oh, you were with, you know, this other doctor. What happened? I'm like, honestly, I would really much rather have a, you know, doctor who's a woman of color. Yeah. And she like looks at me literally like, she like slips her like glasses down like to the bridge of her nose and looks at me over her glasses and then she's like I understand what you mean I'm like yeah thank you like I didn't need to explain anything to her because we have and, you know we have that same experience you know we yeah. have those experiences man there's a lot of power in like being able to take the lead in that It's so fucking scary. Like, I am definitely not the type of person who, you know, actually, that's not true. I was going to say I'm not the type of person that takes charge and is impulsive, but that's that's not true, actually. (laughs) I'm a Gemini, so it's true sometimes (laughs) not the other times. But, like, when when it comes to, like, my well-being now, when it comes to my well-being and when it comes to the well-being of others, like, I am fucking fighting tooth and nail. Yes. And, you know, it's, like, making up for all of these years of, know being quiet Mm -hmm. in a room and suffering by myself without anybody knowing or you know years of not having 
access to, you know, somebody who can help me through what I'm going, what I'm experiencing. Um, And, you know, it's more than just therapy too, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, talking about self-care, like what are the things that we can do for ourselves? Like, again, for a long time, I didn't have health insurance. Yeah. I mean, I think I've only had health insurance like in my three decades of life. Um, and as an adult, I think I've only had health insurance for less than 10 years, yep. so maybe like five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like across my entire adulthood, right? Not just like one job. Yeah. Um, and so finding ways to care for your mental health outside of the, you know, institutions is really important because not everyone can afford it. Mm-hmm. Shit, I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. You know, like my health insurance is going to run out at the end of this month. What am I going to do? I don't know, but I'll tell you what has been helping. Uh, plants. Uh-huh. <laughs> my plants have been helping. <laughs> right. Gardening and listening to music and roller skating. I cannot tell you how much roller skating has been. Mm-hmm. It's literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and like it's helped me build community. It's helped me, you know, connect with people who who just get me. Yeah. You know? And it's one of those things that you have to fight for it. And it's such a hard fight. But you have to fight for that community, that piece of longing, you know? Because, like, we're not meant to be alone. And we're definitely not meant to endure these battles alone. Yeah. So if you're not able to, you know, go to a doctor or talk to a therapist or your counselor, like, there is community out there for you. Mm-hmm. There are people who get you, who will get you. If they don't get you now, they might get you later. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, I, you, know you brought up the whole music thing, right? Mm. So that's what gets me through a lot of things. And I, we, my therapist and I worked it into our, you know, like my coping, right? I know mm-hmm. my exercises and that's how my therapist and I connect through the music because I was doing it when I was younger, you know? Mm-hmm. You know Girl, like you I said. met you in music class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it like, by, you know, by playing the clarinet, um, by putting on that Juanes song that I was like, oh, he gets mm. me. Mm-hmm. He gets me. Like, he has a song called Nada. And I was like, that's a song I would put on when I was feeling really bad. And, you know, like, my boys, the Backstreet Boys, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I put those guys on and, you know, I, they have this one song called Breathe and I do my breathing exercise to that song. Mm. And Don Hanley, my man, I worked that into our exercises with my therapist because he asked me, like, how do you want to feel? I told him, like, I don't know how to describe it in words, but I can describe it in music. So I mm-hmm. told him the lyrics and he's like, that's you. That's what we're going to use to make you feel good, right? Like, that's how, that song is how, like, I want to feel. Yeah. So I use that song, and I'm like, I put it on, and I just envision myself like that, right? I'm like, yes, that's 
that's it. So a lot of people just, you know, you use that music. Yeah, definitely. I know for me, I mean, music has definitely been a lifesaver, literal lifesaver mm -hmm. for me too. Um, and especially during like those really hard teenage years. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Elliot Smith saved my life. Unfortunately, he couldn't save his own, but... No. You know, like his music has gotten me through so much. And Dave Matthews Band, I know that people make fun of me for loving Dave Matthews Band. I don't care. I, I love Dave Matthews because of you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, if you want to like know my life story in a song, go listen to Gray Street by Dave Matthews uh -huh. Band and then try not to cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least I'll try not to cry. <laughs> um, yeah, music has just been, it was, you know, I, okay. So full transparency here. Mm -hmm. Um, your girl is neurodivergent, so you and I know that. Surprise, everybody else. I'm neurodivergent, and my um, the psychologist that is assessing my neurodivergence asked me a question today about what my special interests are because I have like these special interests that I attach to, and I am like super duper like you know extra about it. Um, and it is music for me. Yeah. And I mean, Hamilton has saved my life. I know I keep saying like these things save my life, but like y'all, that is like how often my life is on the line. <laughs> like that is how fragile my mental health is. Love is love you know? is love. <laughs> <laughs> but Hamilton yeah. and being able to sing along, being able to just like put my headphones on and just like immerse myself in the music and in the story and, you know, like this beautiful narrative of one of our founding fathers, but told through the eyes of an immigrant. Yes. And yes. it's just so it's Shout out to Lynn Manuel Miranda. Orale. <laughs> Orale. Yeah. Um so yeah, so like music and community and and it's hard finding community. I get that. And I think it's really important for folks to know that as somebody who struggled to build community, I will always be there to help somebody, you know, get started. And you know, you know and like, we can find it like I call you, you know? Yeah. Like when I'm not feeling when I'm feeling my low, you know, because there's ups and downs, right? For sure. But those coping mechanisms, like I know I can, oh, yes, okay, go to the, the therapist, ask for like maybe like one, two, twice a, twice a week instead of once, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, twice a week instead of once a month. Um, but other times I'm like, he, you know, I'm just like, okay, let me put on this music. Yeah, let me go gardening, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Go gardening while listening to your favorite song. Exactly. Let me go, go bathe in the sun. Cook dinner while you listen to Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> I do I'll that audiobooks, you know? That's what I do. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, but then, you know, sometimes when I, I, I feel really, for lack of a better word, shitty, I call my, my BFFs, Claire and Mom, you know? <laughs> That's what's up. Hey, you know, the thing about community is that it can be big or small, mm -hmm. you know. And um, unfortunately, we're at time. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Melo, and I want to thank our listeners for spending time with us today and 
you know, sharing, being able to listen to part of our story. And uh, I just want to thank everybody. Have a great day. Adios. Thank you again for joining us today. Follow us on Instagram for updates and more on intersectionality underscore in underscore diaspora. We leave you with the words of the great Audre Lorde. I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal, and shared, even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood. With love, gratitude, and hope, Clara and Melo signing off.